time for the SBL shoot around and we got the women's competition covered with Giants all-time great and two-time coach of the year Randy McGill joining Chris Pike for all the latest news, analysis and interviews. Let's go on another SBL shoot around. Welcome to the latest episode of SBL Shootaround. We've made it to five shows, Randy, and now we've even upgraded to having a special guest in the studio here with us. So hopefully that means we're doing something right. We had a really good show last week. Had a great time talking to Ryan Patrick and Rachel Helene. And now this week we've got our we've got our predictions to go through about how we thought the 2020 SBL season would have gone. So that's going to take up a lot of our time. But really what we're excited about is our special guest we've got in our studio. But I'll, I'll throw to you first. I'm Chris Pike, your co-host, Randy Meagle. How do I find you for another week? Yeah, very well, thank you. And um, yeah, it's great to have Craig in to talk about uh, his journey. Um, so yeah, looking forward to throwing him some some questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like you say, the fifth shows come along quite quick and yeah. the weeks roll along quite quick and uh, getting closer and closer to the West Coast Classic. Yeah, less than a month away from that starting now. So let's get straight to our special guest. He's... He's well-renowned probably as the best coaching mind, certainly in the women's SBL over the last 20 years. I hope, I hope you don't find that disrespectful, Randy, but he's, got, he's, he's built a fantastic reputation. He's only just stepped outside of, of, the, of having the reins of the Lakeside Lighting just, just this year, but he, he took them well from a one-win team to a championship-winning team, so he knows what he's talking about. Craig Mansfield? Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I think you might be, might be stretching a little bit. I'm a little uncomfortable with the introduction, <laughs> but... Um... Especially uh, listening to last week's show today, and you had Ryan on, so mm. I think um, you know Ryan, Randy, um, Rick Morecambe. There's a lot of mm. lot of really good names in there, which is a good thing for our league. Yeah, absolutely, it is. And well, and anyone we speak to, whether it's been Randy or whether it's been Ryan or or anyone that we ask, who's the toughest guy to coach against? They always say Craig Randy. Um, what what made him such a tough guy to coach against? Oh, he obviously does his homework, you know, very well, and just to you know every game is you know you got a different look. Um, he, he so yeah, he's, he does his homework, and uh, I think uh, the way he rotates his team according to different situations is is really really good as well. Now, Craig, you would have heard us last week go through in detail the 2018 Grand Final, which, <laughs> as, we, as we talked about last week, for 35 minutes was a great game for Randy and probably was your, your nightmare given the dominant season you had had and then you were 10 points down with five minutes to go. What, what was it like listening back to Randy's recollections? Of, I thought we agreed. Game? I thought we agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, can I firstly say all these people that um, you were saying mentioned me like Ryan and Randy generally towed me up in the playoffs so I think it might be I think I was on the losing end more than I was on the winning end so it might be flattery but look yeah I mean the margins are so so small and it was funny listening to the show today and um, you certainly had uh, Randy under the gun and I thought Randy you were you know it's a credit to you to to talk about it but you know there's there's one play particularly I remember Anita getting the fast break layup and then we had the timeout and it was kind of like last gasp for us so we'll, we'll trap and chuck up threes was pretty much the instruction and then he had a really good high low to Jinka and she missed the layup and the couple of times I've seen that I've kind of thought gee that might have been the tipping point and I will admit there were there was a moment in the the fourth quarter where I did have this tiny thought like what am I gonna say to my girls if we lose tonight after you know what was such a good season so look the margins are, are really really fine and you know you kind of kind of have that perspective as a coach because whether that game had a swung one way or 
the series the year before where where Randy eliminated me and that was probably one of the toughest the year before was one of the toughest losses I've ever experienced especially in that Mandra the venue the atmosphere was pretty interesting and um, I do want to ask you about that later yeah yeah yeah. so it doesn't you're not a better or worse coach because a shot or two drops and there's a result of a game so you just you know continue to work at it and you know you have the swings and the roundabouts sorry Randy let's talk about something more positive yeah yeah good We wouldn't be here without the support of Bassett Scarf Realty. How how appreciative are you of of, the, of their backing us here on SBL Shoot Around? Yeah, no, I'm Adam. Thank Adam heaps for getting on board, and he sends me messages through, you know, quite often just to let us know how we, how the show's gone. So yeah, once again, thanks to Adam. Mm-hmm. His daughter is she right to go for the West Coast Classic? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, she would be. She's uh, always working hard and down at the courts early in the morning. So yeah, I would, I, you would see Olivia out on the court for sure. Now. Last week's show, we had a great time speaking to both Ryan Patrick and Rachel Helene. You, you were here, Randy, so I don't need to ask you about it. Anything stand out from either of those two chats that you perhaps didn't know about either of those two, Craig? Well, Rachel Helene, I first I didn't know she chose to go the non the yeah. non surgery oh. route, or what do they call it, the conservative rehab mm. yep. rehab approach. So I thought that was very interesting, and it led me to Google to kind of look it up. So um, you know, and we wish her all the best. And um, I did have a giggle as well when she was talking about her approach to defense and some of the run-ins she's had with girls <laughs> girls over the years. Yeah. Um, but the one thing with Rach is. There was never any like malice in that. She really always competed with good intent and played hard. And and she's someone that my girls always teams have always respected. And for Ryan, it was it was really good to kind of hear some of his advice for coaches coming through. And it, it's also really great for a West Australian person that's come through the WA pathway. And you know, the first time I heard Ryan's name was. 2008 actually on a on a plane back on a from a women's nbl trip on a plane sitting next to kay tucker and she was talking about playing for rockingham the next year and mentioning this ryan guy and i didn't know much about ryan at the time but you know he's obviously had a lot of success and come a long way so you know it's great for him to have the women's nbl opportunity yeah yeah it absolutely is it's great for somebody from wa to show that you can coach in the SBL, and actually there's a pathway to get a get a job at, at the at the national level so that that's fantastic now, Randy, I asked you last week, what were the chances of us sitting here this week having had confirmed that Darcy Garwin would have signed with the Perth Lynx? Didn't take long for that to be confirmed, but it was a natural fit, and it's it's fantastic for the Lynx that she has has signed. Yeah, worst kept kept secret around, wasn't it? But uh, I'd just uh, wrap for, for Darcy and, and the Lynx. I think it's just a great fit that she comes home. She's in a prime, you know, so I think she's really going to, you know, carry that team well. How much does it help that you've got that chemistry there, Craig, when you are trying to succeed at the next level? Obviously, Darcy, Sammy and Ryan, they had such great success at Rockingham together. How much does it help when they try to now take that to the next level? I think having a rapport and and trust is a big thing in terms of what they do and how they play and roles that may change um, from the recipe they had at Rockingham. But essentially, like having people that you've you've been on a journey with and you've had success and you've had good and bad times and you have some trust in each other is is a really big starting point. And it'll give Ryan a big jump start on setting his culture in the new program because you know immediately you already have three people on board and it really only takes three or four to really really jump on board and get behind where the team's trying to go and drive it and it makes a big difference. Yeah, you got, you've got three winners there as well, which yeah. is like you mentioned the culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. yeah. yeah I, look, I think Darcy's a really good in and you, um, you know, Payne is a Townsville girl and she's gone back to Townsville, yep. but I think Darcy... 
is going to be really good. And the great thing about Darcy is I think she can play the four and she can shoot the three well enough to, to stretch the floor, but she can also pinch hit at the five. You know, she had to do too much of that last year at Townsville, but she can pinch hit at the five. And in a season with no no imports, you, you've got a lot of flexibility with how you use her. So I think she's a really, really good pickup. Yeah, for sure. Now, another player that we saw last year in the SBL at the Perry Lakes Hawks, Megan, Megan McKay. Or is it you're the you're the you're the the man to pick us up on pronunciation? Is it Megan McKay or Mackay? It's Great. not Alison Shagmire. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Randy. <laughs> uh, um, no, it's Mackay. Mackay. So my understanding is you put the A between the yeah. M and it's Mackay. Oh. Take the A out and it's Mackay. Oh, I've always called her Mackay, so I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> now she played some great basketball at the Hawks last season. This once she arrived in that second half of the season, she, she was the difference between them ending up getting to the semi-finals. I know that they ended up. Struggling while they got there against Rockingham, but she was she was massive for them. Sixteen point four points, eleven point nine rebounds in those games after coming back from college. She hasn't signed locally, but she has signed at the Townsville Fire. And she, at what we saw of her last year, she's every bit a WNBL player. Yeah, look, Megan's a fantastic talent, and she's been through ID'd in WA since about I think eleven or twelve, mm. or I think she went to state as a three year. And um, the other thing that's impressive about her Hawks numbers is they did that with her coming off the bench for all or most of it I think to sort of keep their rhythm and chemistry so if you scaled those minutes you know those to per 30 minutes those stats would be a lot higher and she's a real threat at the rim and on the right hand how that translates to to women's NBL against bigger defenders and that but also for her it's probably a good transition year with with maybe a little bit less size in the league and think it, it it'll probably be a good fit for her and um, it'll be interesting to see how she goes at that level. Do you see much of her? I watched a few games. Just the physical presence of yeah. her was just, you know, you know, way, way, way a lot more, you know, than people could handle, you know. And I think she found herself getting into a little bit of foul trouble quite a bit as well, you know. I think she, that happened in the semifinals, especially. Yeah. yeah. So you know, the the WNBL, the physicality of it, um, perhaps might suit her a little bit more. She might get to play how she wants to play a bit more. Mm. Yeah. Now, also, I might have got her mixed up with Nadine Payne when we spoke earlier in the day, Craig, but Lauren Mansfield has also moved on from the Perth Lynx to go and play at the Sydney, Sydney, Sydney Flames. Flames. She she was a difference maker with the Perth Redbacks last year, as we talked about. Randy, had she been there for their last two or three games, they probably ended up making playoffs last yeah. year, given yeah. quality she was. Disappointing to lose her from the Lynx backcourt, but I guess when you've got you got Ebsery and Whitcomb there, there's not a lot of a lot of space. Me? Yeah, look, I mean, Lauren's fantastic. And the other thing with um, her Redback season is she was coming off a, a bit of injury in women's NBL and, and didn't didn't have much of a go early. But, uh, I mean, she led the league in, in assists. And, I mean, she's a really good point guard and distributor. And if you put her in the right system and you get her off some on-balls and get her on the move a little bit, I think she's a really effective player. And, and Sydney um, have turned over most of their backcourt. Tapay has gone to Canberra. Kunek's gone. There's no word on Wilson. I don't think she's returning there. So it's probably... A a really good opportunity for Lauren whereas at the Lynx they were pretty loaded this will be an opportunity for her to get in there and sort of you know grab the ball by the horns and run a team I'm yeah. pretty sure Wilson's been linked to the Lightning I think she's going back to Adelaide yes yeah. she was coached by Chris Lucas so they got a you know and then they went up in Townsville there so yeah, yep. yeah she's an SA country girl yeah. So, yeah yeah I actually just spoke to her today and I'm talking to her again tomorrow so I'll let you know next oh, week there you, okay. there you go I'll let you know next week what she <laughs> come, comes back with how good is it for the SBL to be talking about all these players that we've got playing locally that are now not only playing in the WNBL but actually they're, they're really important pieces on on their WNBL teams 
Oh, look, it's awesome. Um, and Ryan alluded to it last week when you asked him about the level of the league and the improvement in the league. But, you know, there's a few things. But one of the, the big things was the improvement in the Lynx program and the additional depth at women's NBL level and, and a lot of those girls staying and playing in the women's NBL. Um, and then also some other girls coming in and perhaps wanting to get into our league and, and get the links to have a look at them. And it's just increased the depth of the league. Um, and it's a really positive. So it's also, you know, good now. Hopefully they go into a new phase and they keep that momentum and grow some WA girls and we keep attracting good first class interstate talent um, and they contribute in, in SBL. You make a great point because when BWA last run the club and it was the West Coast Waves, it, it's fair to say it was a basket case. And that's not to say the coaching staff was, Craig. So those <laughs> working on the coaching staff did their best, but the finances just weren't there to back it up. How do we make sure that now that BWA is back in charge, that they can continue to build upon what, I guess, the work done when it was under the Wildcats banner? Well, look, I don't know if I have any magic recipes, um, but I, I think if we're talking about a sustainable women's NBL program, then we need to be somewhere where we're at at least the league average budget, maybe a little bit more because we, we're trying to draw people from the East Coast. Um, and then we want to make sure that our top line women's NBL talent, um, we don't lose interstate, you know, and you look at even um, Garvin's pathway, yeah, you know, yep. she, she left the tube five, I don't know, four or five, however many years ago, and it's taken this long to get her back. And yes, she's entering her prime now and it's great, um, but we want to make sure that we keep as many of those genuine ones as possible and we maintain relationships with them when they're off at the shoot or all Australian teams or college so that when they come back, um, they, seen it as, they see it as a desirable destination mm. and a good program. Obviously, you're very close to Ali Schwagmeyer. Um, the signs are that it doesn't look like she'll be coming back to the Perth Lynx, but as far as you know, do you expect to see her still in the WNBL somewhere? Yeah, look, the Lynx haven't announced anything, so um, I don't know in terms of what the deal is there. I talk to Ali regularly, um, but I don't ask a lot of basketball questions. Ali's sort of like family to me, so I sort of talk on what she wants to talk on and don't put too much pressure on her. But I do know she has drawn women's NBL interest, mm. um, I can say that. And I also know she's drawn some Europe interest, um, but there's a lot of uncertainty with Europe and there's probably some... For all Americans, there's those resident international players, like there is some good stability in Australia and, and the league set up and that. So look, I, I don't know what Ali's going to do, but I, I would think women's NBL and it's a top two, three, four league in the world, it's going to be very desirable this year. Yeah, and I think she's good enough to be a starter on a team. So naturally, that won't happen at the links, given given Sammy Wickham's there. So if she has to go somewhere else to be a starter, then then so be it, because I think she must be 30, 31 by now. I think she's at a point in her career where she just needs to be making the most of whatever chance she's got. Yeah, look, and she Ali's very driven, and she knows what her window is, and I think she's 29 or just 30, and um, she's sort of laid out what she'd like to achieve over that time, and, and she'll go after it. Now, the Perth Lynx head coaching job, obviously when BWA took over, they made the decision that Andy Stewart wasn't in their plans, Ryan Patrick was the man that they ended up wanting and, and appointing and I think if you look at the body of work that he's done over 10 years at, at Rockingham then I think it's a, a shrewd decision and no one can, can obviously complain about it. We've talked a little bit on the show about how it would be not nice if he was able to keep his coaching staff local. Randy's already said that he isn't in a position to be able to put his hand up. Is there any chance you've got I know your work commitments are pre pretty hectic. Is there any chance you might be able to work with him? <laughs> oh, look I've known Ryan obviously a long time and probably in the last 10 years spent hundreds of hours talking talking hoops with him so he uh, he probably knows what I have to offer and in terms of being an assistant on a 
full time or regular basis. It's it's not possible with with my work situation. But you know, I'm am just as keen as anyone to see WA have like a really attractive pathway. And if Ryan reached out and wanted to chat hoops or kind of input, then there'd be no issue. Um, and I'd happily help him. But it's not it's not feasible to be a full-time assistant and and there are some you know if you look at it from bwa point of view there's a couple of good young coaches you know know, straight away i can think of keegan who's working at bwa already there's you know resources there he's shown lots of potential and then obviously it is getting a female in the the pathway is probably going to be a priority for them as well so there's going to be lots of things for them to think of and i'd be happy to help out i just want to see them be successful Obviously, Dockie's got her own commitments. I, I believe she might even be starting a family with Steve as well as the work that she's doing at, uh, at Willerton Senior High School and obviously coaching at Perry Lake. So time commitments might be her biggest issue as well. But is she the standout female coach in the, in the state right now? Or is there other names that do jump out? Oh, uh, look, I think there's, it depends on the level you're talking about in terms of, you know, there's there's some people that, you know, like you look at Robin Winter and there's mm-hmm. some people um, sort of through our high performance pathways that have done a mountain of work, whether that means they're suited to women's NBL is something different. Docky's been a regular contributor at SBL and she's at that point now where she's got five or six years head coaching experience. Mm-hmm. So she would certainly be qualified. There are, there are some other names and, you know, it depends on people's availability and flexibility. Fleur McIntyre's coached and been successful and we might be at that point where potentially you never know with some of the former players whether that's a sue williams or you know how he's connected k tucker who's about and so mm. there definitely will be some options there and yeah. and the more the better jess van she was mm. you know involved last year as well she's another possibility i've asked randy about this and we asked ryan as well which coaches especially during this most recent stint that you had with lakeside which coaches gave you the most headaches to go up against um <laughs> it's funny because the headaches come in lots of do di- i don't know if randy's felt this and but the headaches come up in uh, in lots of different mm. ways some people really bother me with in terms of how they play um whether it's their just the way our what we're trying to get done lines up with what they're trying to get done or the physicality or the tempo you know i was you know diana's hawks team's you know, in those really physical teams, your yeah, teams yeah. had that. And then sometimes some coaches like can be very creative in game. Um, and then some coaches like like Randy, you were one like your timeout timing always used to annoy annoy me to death because it was you know you just get four or six points and you feel like and then you go bang and call a timeout. And I'd watch the game film and wonder why I didn't call one during that fourteen zero run a quarter earlier. Well, you actually um, worked me out because. <laughs> We'd have a timeout to obviously draw something up or you know, <laughs> get something organised and then we'd come out of the timeout and Bray uh, could work through it and <laughs> that timeout was wasted. So, you know, he'd, he'd worked on that over over time. Every time he yeah. has a timeout, there's yeah. something going to happen. Bang, they're in a zone or bang, they're up in a trap or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So, yeah, the timeouts uh, are used for, you know, change the tempo of the game and, and that type of thing. Yeah, look, and, and you, you learn the patterns of coaches the more you, you coach against them. Yeah. Um, the, the 2018 game we lost to Redbacks. Nixie worked me over. He, he did a really good job that night, and I'd never really coached against him before, so I wasn't, you know, anticipating maybe a couple of things I, I normally should have been. But Parker's a very good coach. 
probably, you know, Parker and Rick Morecambe beat me plenty over the years, but they just beat me. The two that I really felt like, you know, in finals, you'd like, you'd play a game and then you'd make adjustments for the next game and then they'd make adjustments for the second half of that game and it actually felt like chess. Um, The two were, were, were Ryan and Randy and I don't mean to keep the, the podcast mm. love fest going, but no. you could definitely feel like they were reacting to you during a final series and so that was always very challenging. Now, <laughs> we've dedicated the segment later in the show, Craig, to go through your extensive basketball journey so we'll come back to that but I wanted to get your thoughts quickly on a couple of things firstly your decision to not coach on at the Lakeside Lightning this season um you'd had a great run there um even last year you still won the regular season championship and you know a couple of things go your way and could have easily perhaps won won back-to-back titles how tough of a decision was that to make and what was your your main thinking behind it it wasn't an easy decision and Lakeside were, were great to me and I loved the environment and um, you know I would always look out for opportunities there in, in the future that was that was a really good chapter probably for me a couple of things one is balancing work with coaching um, and having a full-time job and, and I feel like a four-year cycle is pretty challenging and I'm probably one of the coaches where maybe I over prep or overwatch a bit if there's such a thing but you know you see the well, six or yeah, it does. And you see the six or eight hours on the court, but then there's six, eight, ten hours watching and cutting film and planning and that. And I tend to just, you know, I was, by the end of four years, I'm ready to just take a little bit mm-hmm. of a break and I put on 20 kilos over that time. And then, you know, married, getting married during that season. And, and I've got great admiration for, for the coaches that can do it year on year on year. Yeah, um, absolutely. So and there's Parker a few of them. Parker's been going yeah. along yep. a long time now. And the fact that they can, good times, bad times, tough times at work, tough times at basketball, and they, they're able to consistently work like that i've got really great admiration for them but interesting you say that i spoke to simon this week and because of what's happened with COVID 19 and because there's no official sbl season he's actually really looking forward to taking somewhat of a break this year and he feels like this year might be his actual actual chance to recharge and yes and probably be ready to go for 2021 so i guess even he does feel does need a need a break too yeah and i think COVID's going to have you know the the current situation is going to have done that for a lot of people and some people might take a breath and maybe like it and continue wanting to take a breath and some people will take a breath and recharge and want to get in it and uh, look, the other thing for me is I, I feel like, uh, I mean, I did some time at college and I found the four-year cycle for the players was like really good cycle. And I kind of feel like my time at Suns and other programs, I've generally done four or five years. Mm. And even if I'm on the right track, sometimes I just feel like it's great for them to get a new voice. And I may play a certain way and see this girl as a, a certain function in my team and gets a clean set of eyes and someone else looks at her completely different and when you look at evolution and game changing a bit of diversity in clubs and in coaching and exposure to ideas is good so i kind of feel like four years is a pretty natural mm. natural cycle anyway and i think it's actually beneficial for lakeside and they've got a great coach now a lot of what he says is pretty much the exact reasons why you felt yep your time was up in mandra too yep just that mine was like a different voice yeah yep and uh just a preparation time just just wears you down yep and you just live it and breathe it and you know i know craig was the sort of same as me simon parker always seen him that was always involved in the d-league yeah um so you know you were doing it from watching under 18 girls the d-league and then then you know then through to the sbl so yeah how many years did you do i done five i had a, a year's break before that but i done four years with chalky as an assistant yep. uh, with the yep. men's program as yep. well yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a lot of years yeah so. and you do get antsy i went and watched courtney train a couple of times in the 
pre-season and I'm sitting up in the grandstand and I'm watching the men and sitting a couple of courts away, not to cramp style, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I maybe I miss it. Maybe I could have coached <laughs> yeah, yeah. again. And then I watched a couple of the girls do the things they've been doing last year for me and I thought, no, no. It's time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> um, well, what are your thoughts on what's happened now in 2020? Do you feel like the right decision was made to cancel the SBL season and what do you make of what's now being put in place in the, the West Coast Classic? Well, given I'm on the commission and uh, was involved in the decisions, I'm going to go with a yes on that. And look, honestly, I do. Yeah. Um, I think the decision to cancel SBL, like at first was a postponement and then you had to cancel. And, you know, you're looking at your risk profile as well and you're trying to give clubs some flexibility. They're all in different financial positions, you know, minimise their risk. Um, and that gave them the fact that the season was cancelled. It gave them the opportunity to talk to their players and make sure they can continue to keep themselves in a position that that is workable going into the future because we want to make sure all the clubs survive and and are stronger than ever when we come out of it and then from that point for me like if I was still coaching it's like the next day is day one of 2021 you know so there's a lot of talk about the west coast classic and and being on the commission, I was involved in that, and we talked about a whole lot of scenarios based on when things open up, what you're allowed to do, what we think is best, who are the different stakeholders. You know, clubs have their thought, but coaches are stakeholders, players are stakeholders, referees are stakeholders, and you're looking at ways to engage your community. And for me, I think the West Coast Classic is a great format because now we're all in pairing for 2021, and clubs can approach the West Coast Classic however they want you know and you can use that to bring in some players and build some relationships you can use that to recharge a couple and and you know maybe there's a girl that's been 8 9 10 11 12 and you got no and if she plays the west coast classic and plays well and next year you can use her as serviceable off the bench then that's a win so everyone's got to decide what they want to get out of it but for me i think it's a great opportunity to like re-engage everyone mm-hmm. and get on the right track for 2021 however that turns up looking like and timing wise it's going to work out perfectly by the time the season starts on july 24 all our restrictions will be lifted so we're going to be able to have full stadiums for these games which is which is exciting because i think everyone is going to be really keen to go out and watch them live sports so it might actually turn out to be be a great positive in in some ways yeah i think it i think it's a good good medium and and there's some opportunities for teams to prepare for you know possible things that might be required next year and and get a bit of a test run in so look i mean and, and you know around if you were coaching in this would you rather, you know, you win the West Coast Classic and the games don't count and what does it mean? Would you rather do that or would you rather get a couple of extra rotation players next year, you know, and yeah. get some minutes in their legs? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see it continue, you know, after the WSBL season. Like I, like I said, the, the the wait's too long. We finish up and, you know, it's six months before we go again, you know, have a, have a two-month break and make it a, a summer competition and just keep it as a West Coast Classic and, and it'll be fantastic. Well, that's one of the things you always did more off-season and started pre-season a lot earlier than other. Yeah. Yeah, so what was your – what did you normally do? Uh, We started in early November. Okay. Basically, yeah. And And what was that, just scrimmage or fitness? No, that was basically just the fitness base and strength stuff. Yep. Yeah, and then right through to till Christmas, and yep. then maybe in December we started doing just one night a week scrimmage, and then yep. come back on the second week of January, and then it was on-court yep. stuff, yeah. Yeah, and because and we have a very different cycle to over East, even though the seasons are aligned. You know, like I had a couple of big V clubs reach out to me when I didn't go again at Lakeside, and I'm talking to them about how everything phases out, and they're like, no, no, we, we start pre-season in October yeah like, keep going you, you got to be over like yeah whereas yeah. we tend to take a, a break till January and 
that was used to be the mark back when you know you played because remember we used to do that Easter car East tournament. Yeah. We didn't actually start till May. Yeah, you know? that's but right. And what we've done is we pulled the season forward and we haven't changed the phasing at all. Yeah. The December West Coast Classic every year would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Especially, like you said, for teams that don't make the finals. Yeah, it's a long, a long time. I mean, you don't do anything from August until Mm. Yeah, no, every, everyone just wants to play, yeah. you know, and uh, so yeah, November, December would be would be fine. Yeah. Moving to the NBA one next year, Craig. Obviously, if you're on the commission, you're part of those discussions. Do you feel like it's now inevitable, and is it is it going to be, bring great positives? I mean, I guess a lot of people are a little bit. Un- they feel like it's it's going to happen, but they're they're still unsure what it actually means and what might change as a result of it. What's this NBA one? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, look, I think um, I think it's potentially an opportunity. Yeah. Um, from what I understand, you know, it's there's bits of the process to be worked out. I know there's been dialogue backwards and forwards between the league and the club, and opportunities for us to, to on the commission to see and hear stuff and 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 give our thoughts on it. But I think whatever your hand is, you know, you take your cards, and there's always opportunities to make good out of it. Um, and there's some definite opportunities NBL one presents in terms of in terms of aligning ourselves with the East Coast, um, how our games are presented, how our league is perceived over East. You know, like we know SBL's good, mm. and we know it's better than Big V, equivalent to QBL. A lot of the best, you know, like women's SBL teams would beat probably everyone but the top two or three in Siebel or NBL1 and now it's a chance for us to, to like get our games seen by a wider audience there's there's branding opportunities there's there's marketing opportunities there's obviously as a result of some of these requirements be additional things for clubs to consider um, and every club has a different model and is, and is in a different position and I think that's healthy um, but at the end of the day um, I think it's a good uh, it's a good potential opportunity yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to talk about yes or no, it's happening, sure. you know, ahead of it, it happening. Um, but certainly if, if I was running a club and it's in, then you go, great. You look at what your opportunities are and you get on with it. Yeah, I think so too. And as it's turned out, I think BWA was criticised a little bit for not biting the bullet in doing it in 2020 and making the move. But as it turned out, it was the best move ever. So we can get through this year now with all of the troubles that we've had and 2021 is the best possible time to probably make that move. Yeah, uh, look, if the move is made in 2021, mm. um, it'll be made with essentially all the other states at the same yep. time. Um, and it did, I know, without going into detail, I know it gave BWA an opportunity to like talk to the NBL about the agreement and work through some of their concerns and issues and put themselves in a position where they're potentially more comfortable with an agreement. Okay, Randy, I think we'll wrap up that first segment. And when we come back, we're going to give our predictions for what we thought the 2020 season would have looked like. And we're going to have Craig critiquing us as well. So yeah, that's, no, that's, that's, that'll be good. <laughs> yeah. No original thoughts. I'll be like no. an assistant coach. I'll just fire <laughs> constructive criticism. <laughs> no, I'm keen to see what he thinks about where I put Lakeside. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around, and we spent the last few weeks, Randy, having a close look at how all of the 12 clubs in the women's SBL were looking coming into the 2020 season. So it's important to note we're talking on, we're basically doing this based on preseason blitz has just finished, the season's about to start, and how everyone was shaping up because everyone had done a full preseason, everyone had played at the blitz, and the season was ready to go. I mean, you know that. Craig, by the time the Blitz is finished, how much of your preparation for a season is pretty much done? Yeah, a significant amount, as ready as you can be for 
for round one um and the blitz is just the last chance to get some run into some yeah. people's legs and then catch your breath and you're, you're ready to go you know in the blink of an eye you're preparing for round five and you're already into it yeah so i think we had a fair idea of how everyone was shaping up randy so i think it's fair enough to do this <laughs> But it's obviously going to create some, some talking points as well based on where we put different people and the players we, we thought. So why don't we start with our top eight? Mm-hmm. Why don't we start with who we had finishing, okay, so finish, we, finishing in eighth spot? Why don't we start there? Oh, okay, finishing in eighth, so I had uh, the Redbacks. Yep. That was with Mansfield playing. Um, yep. So, yep, I had them at eighth. In seventh position, I had the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, position positioning was probably based a little bit on their import selection. Yep. And probably pretty similar, I'm going to say, with the Tigers. Like I said to you before, I think they've got a really good core of girls there ready to, to peak, you know, that have been around for a while. Mm. So they just need to be complemented by some, some good imports. Yep. And same as the Lightning, that, like, you know, it's, a, it's still got uh, Ironmonger and Grant and yep. Mansfield and, and that real solid group. Got about that, didn't you, when uh, you put in the that? seventh? Yeah, uh, yeah. We actually didn't know that. Yeah, no, she. Uh, I don't think that she was training and ready. Oh, it's Lakeside. Don't <laughs> do much social media, no, we, but um, we, we absolutely did not. Yeah, know they that. would have had a okay. for the first six, eight games, whatever that was, okay. prior to Opals. So right, <laughs> that, 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 that might change things for me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they um, they were looking. You know, the Blitz. They they moved everyone around, but the bits I saw in preseason, I actually thought they were going to be better than my. The 2019 team. Okay. Well, that's throwing a spanner in the works. Absolutely. I think it's throwing an even bigger spanner in mine because I'll declare it now. I didn't have them making the top eight. (laughs) You guys guys penciled Steve Bazan in for coach of the year when they came second. (laughs) Straight away. So you can coach of the year. We can can sort that one out straight away. All right. So let's get back onto it. I I had the flames out of the four, like I said last week. Dropped down to fifth just with Alan and uh, Garbin not playing. I think the the height factor there will hurt them. Um, I had the magic at fourth. I think uh, the the taller girl that uh, that, uh, what she recruited her name escapes me but, Nyla uh, Jamison Myers yep I think that uh, she'd just give that team a different look and you know bring probably bring the best out in Carly Bogue as well yep I think with uh, her working with Carly would be a really good good combination uh, in third position I had the Wolves okay Remember, we're going top eight here, not championships. Yep, yeah, yep. No, we, we, we'll get to the championship, champions so, later. Yeah, great mix, Six experience and youth. I've got every position yeah. sort of covered, you know, so I had them sitting there. I had the the Hawks second, I think, with the addition of Gilday and... Gilday, yep. And Maddie Dennis and a few of those girls and the other import we spoke about. Spencer. Julie Spencer. And Kate Williams, who you mentioned Kate, too. Yep, yeah, exactly. So they've got them really high. And, and, how um, many imports have Hawks got? Two. You Gilday and Spencer. You know, just name four. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, yeah, we expect Nat Burden was going to be playing too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I had senators first. I had them jumping out of the blocks just because yep. in our conversation we had with Dion. Well, he had them ready to go already. Yep, yeah. they, were, they were up and going. So that was my top eight. Okay, now I've gone Rockingham finishing eight, pretty much the same reasons that, that you had. If you if you lose Darcy and Maddie from that front court, I know they, their back court, especially with Chibatoni and, and Burrows, would have still been strong. But yeah, I mean, it remained to be seen if they could replace Darcy and, and Maddie. I then had. The Coburn Cougars in seventh spot. I think I think they would have jumped up, keeping their import from last season and potentially having her back for a, for, for a whole season. Elena Hartman would have made a big difference, adding in a second import, plus Talia Fejo, who's a WNBL-level player. I think Tyrone Thrates would have had plenty to work with there and would have got them into the playoffs. Perth Redbacks, I think 
you know, Craig Allen did a lot right last season and adding Matty Allen to Lauren Mansfield this season to the call that they had there, even though they lost Nashaya Williams, I still think they would have had enough to get to the playoffs. Williton, I had fifth, you know, and they could finish anywhere from sort of first to, to tenth, really, based on, on their two imports. I think they've got a good core there, but they they probably do rely on having two really good imports to be successful. So it was a bit of a wait and see approach, but I think Simon Parker's got enough runs on the board to give him the benefit of the doubt. I then had Mandra Magic in, in fourth spot. I think getting Anita Brown back was was huge. Adding adding the big alongside Carly Bogue, who a year after coming back from a knee injury would have had a really, a really strong, strong season. So I think I think Mandra would have been around the mark again. And I got the Perry Lakes Hawks in third for all of the reasons that, that you said. They're really well coached and they had an enormous talent pool to, to choose from. Then I've got the Warwick Senators with, with Stacey Byron and, and, and Michaela Dyer in that backcourt and still Sam Roscoe and, and Taylor Hepburn up front, plus the, the good group of young girls that, that sort of come and go from college that, that Dion would have had to work with. They're going to be around the mark again. And then I've got, I've got the Wolves finishing top just because of the amazing depth of talent that, that Nixie would have, would have had to work with. Mm. Yep. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a tough job. Um, I'm surprised at how high you had Coburn and Perth, but okay, um, yep. but then listening to you talk, um, I didn't know Hartman was going to be available available the full season. And Perth, I think the loss of Nasea is a bigger loss than people yeah. realise. No, I think um, yeah. I think there's um, and it also depends what they do in terms of in terms of imports. You know, quality imports is is such an unknown, and um, it makes it really tough. Um, my only other comment is, you know, you can only have five players on the mm-hmm. on the court at any time, and you can probably only rotate five guards significantly, and three sort of players with size in in modern basketball so i understand like a lot of these teams have have added you know and got a lot of depth and added a lot of players but it's i'd still love to see how the fit comes together for for some of these teams and um and get a good look at the imports but when you're naming names looks like it's going to be a pretty competitive year in the league and and like even magic for what they've got and you guys Mm. have both picked them fourth i think that that's pretty that just says something in itself because yeah, exactly. I think you could look at them in that team any year and think oh well you know not be surprised they they were top of the ladder or top two yeah I think both of us had Lakeside sliding down because of the changing coach I think that's the respect we hold you in are you surprised that we both had them as low as we have yeah I mean it makes a little bit of sense without knowing um Ebsery yep. was going to play um and it also makes a little bit of sense you know obviously I've done more games than Steve but I know Steve well from my involvement with him at Lakeside um, and I've seen how he operates and I watched them in the preseason and I really liked the fit you know like Courtney and Katie um, can play well together in the backcourt obviously and Candace um, alongside those two the import was yeah. really comfortable shooting the ball and and just sort of slotting into that role now where they would have been at the end once mm. Ebsery's out and how good the second import is I don't know but I think they would have probably been surprisingly good in the yeah. first six weeks people would have been would have been pretty surprised I yeah. think yeah to me it was just a case of the unknown with a, a new coach two new imports and mm. losing experience with Jess Van Shee and and Tian Flynn who I've I believe they both weren't going to be playing. That's the information we were given yep. coming into the season. So that's a lot of experience gone and, and just the unknown. It, it's not saying that they couldn't have proved me wrong. It's just, I guess, the unknown where a yep. lot of the teams that I did pick to finish up high, I guess we know we know what to expect from. Other than Coburn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we, 
We saw we saw what um, Hartman could do last year. Um, Whittinger arrived in with high a, a high reputation, and, and Fayo we know that she can play WNBL as well. So and and also what ties about at Coburn and and having coached state teams mm. and that as well. He's a little yeah, well, that's a what, bit of a known commodity in terms of the quality he brings and the intensity. Yeah, brings. and just yeah, that's what I was going to say. The intensity and the the energy that will bring they'll yeah. they'll be up and about. Craig was expecting us to say Steve Bazant for Coach of the Year, but he's not quite my pick, Randy, and that's not to say that Steve couldn't be. Who have you got for Coach of the Year? Um, I put down Dockey Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think uh, Deanna has won one before, but I'm going to say that uh, they're going to have a 20-20 win, 19-20 win season, which puts them up in second position, so that would be my choice. I've gone Simon Parker just because sometimes, I guess, just because you've been around for a long time, you get overlooked a little bit, and, and I think for what he's done to basically have a group of local girls with just the two imports, I think that deserves a, a lot of credit. So if he had have got them to fifth spot like I picked them to, I think he would have deserved that award. Next, let's go for the most improved player. And before I get your pick, I, I made a list of players that I thought might be eligible, and I found it really tough to, to get it down to one. So I thought I thought Ruby Bennett Coburn would have had a, had a strong season. I thought, I thought Jay Flynn at, at Lakeside might have gone up another level this season just with more opportunity. Isabel Miotti up at the Wolves I thought would have would have done well. Adams at Kalamunda. Um, Georgia. Georgia Adams. Gun. I think she would have would have done really well. Green. Green. Green at Lakeside. Courtney Green. Courtney Green I think would have been another one that had more opportunities. Casey Meagle at Mandurah I think would have, as you said, hopefully got more opportunities and maybe maybe taken a game up to scoring around that 10 point points a game mark. What, what do you reckon, Dad? Casey for most improved or what? <laughs> <laughs> and just with a couple of the players that Perry Lakes lost from their backcourt, I know that they've added added great depth there, but but just, just losing a couple of experienced players like Benson and O'Sullivan, I think there would have been more opportunities for Morgan Ballantyne to play some more minutes, so I think she would have had, a, had an improved season. Taya Burrows, as good as she was last year, I think coming off playing WNBL would have gone to another level with with Rockingham. Sarah Lacke is another one who a change of clubs I think would have would have done done her done her well. You know, moving on from from East Perth and finding a new home I think would have helped helped her. And Jesney Cooper, someone who was sort of deep in the rotation at Rockingham, moving to Coburn, I think she would have would have done well this season as well. Is any of the players you've picked for most improved on my list? No. <laughs> um. <laughs> But um, I will mention Taya Burrows. I know yeah. last year she uh, she wasn't well. Um, yeah. She was quite ill, and we didn't really see the potential that she she you know shown and, down at the Slammers. Yeah, and injured the year before, yeah. so she's yeah. had a couple of quiet years. I yeah, mean, she would have been the smart money. Yeah, so she would have been fit. Mm. And um, I haven't picked her for the most improved, by the way. No, no. I'm just saying that uh, I'm just mentioning her. So I just put Nasaya Williams down. I just think that she'll slot into the Wolves system probably a little better than the Redbacks. I think uh, having a good passer like Steindl and Amberland, more experienced girls around her at that size. Uh, would have helped her offensively, and we know how good she is def- defensively. So. How, how does that fit? Steindl, Land, Nasea. Like, Nasea, you see Nasea at the three? Yeah. And does that give... They got Hodges. Hodges, yeah. And does that give Wolves, like, enough threat off the dribble? Because Nasea can definitely play the three spot. It's yeah. just... You could use her at the four. The Perini's putting the, the one putting the ball on the floor to go to the hole. I don't know. Yeah, how that's what I'm talking about. Fit, but yeah, that would be been really interesting. She would have could have either thrived or could have taken a little while for DC yeah. to figure out how to balance all that. I suppose you got Miotti in that same position, the same yeah. sort of um, situation. Yeah, yeah I, I just feel that uh, the change, like you know, she's gone up there to, yeah. to get better uh, under Nicks, and yeah. so yeah, she was she was my pick. No, I can't argue, and we've spoke about her on this show before, where. Not only do I think she's ready to go to the next level 
as an SBL player. She's ready to be a WNBL star in this coming season. She's oh, To me, she's still one of the most exciting young players in the country, so I'm excited to see what she does on the back of this in the in the WNBL this upcoming season, wherever she, she ends, I think up, it's, ends up signing. It's a really important season for her, it I is. think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's now or never for her to take that next jump from it's a player with potential to actually now starting to, to realise her enormous potential. Yeah, I mean, I think now or never is a big, a big call. And this is one of my frustrations. Like, the women's NBL is such a good league. It's like the jump from Div 1 to women's SPL is big. But the jump from women's SPL to women's NBL is really big. And even for, like, someone that played for Australia as a junior like Darcy, it's still taken her to, what, 22 or 3? How old's Nasea? Like, she's not in 20. She's 20. Like, it's, you, you want to see her growing, and I think she's going to do great. But it could take her to 23 24 to fully understand her body and that i just think we've got to be so careful as well with with how we look at that but i look getting back to the most improved i think burrows would have been yeah. money um and then i'll give a shout out to the the adams the the son's kid i think yeah. um she's got enough size and and you know can move well enough to sort of defend and, and couple of positions and give you some switchability and um i've seen a sort of you know, get on the rim and shoot the three. Okay, yeah. Um, you probably know her. Yeah, better I've, than me. Yeah, done I mean, I would have probably started her in the Suns system last year. That's that's. I think she's pretty good young talent. Yeah, well, she's just signed at a college. Yes. So yes. yeah, so she's uh, serious about her basketball. So hope she does a great job over there and comes yeah. back and stamps her mark in in WA basketball. Yeah, for sure. I've gone Taya Burrows as my most improved for all of the reasons we've we've talked about. Let's go to our all first team, Randy. Who, who have you got as your all-star five? Now, we're going on sight scene, which, you know, mm-hmm. obviously there's going to be some imports that are going to make some waves in the league, but uh, not a natural point guard, but I went with Nikki Gilday. I think uh, her time away since she played with Amanda, I think she's played in that position and she would have improved. Mm-hmm. So I had her at the point guard. Mm-hmm. I've gone Michaela Dyer for much the same reason that sight sightseeing, we know what she's capable of. And I think, you know, she was great last year at the Slammers where she had a, a lot of responsibility. Now, I think with some of the pressure off her in some ways at the Senators, I think she could be at least as good, if not if not better, when she's got someone like Stacey Barr to, to work off. Yep. yep. So then what, Barr's not in your first team? No, we haven't got to our shooting guard yet. Well, you, you got the whole Sterling backcourt. Uh, <laughs> Sterling get an extra basketball this year or what? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. Sorry, Parky. You, you go. What would you, you have an opinion on that position? Uh, as in uh, point guard? Uh, oh, God. I was supposed to just comment on your picks. Yeah, he was. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say... Uh, Mansfield. Yeah, that's clear. Yeah, that's fine. That's <laughs> leave, it, leave it ambiguous <laughs> as to which Mansfield I'm talking about, but uh, I was going to say Mansfield. Very good. Shooting, uh, shooting guard, uh, Stacey Barr. Yeah, I've gone Stacey Barr as well. Yeah, I know oh, that means I've got it. Yeah, I know that's the backcourt, but I think I've done that for a reason because I think their chemistry together will actually help them both play better. And I know that sounds funny when they were the mm. two leading scorers last season, but I still think they could still be the two leading scorers in the competition combined this season playing together so I think that's why I've gone for both of them because I think their chemistry of playing together I think will actually help them mm. don't agree Craig oh, I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> give me the give me one more pick who's at the three spot 
All right, I've gone Carly Bogue. Okay. So, as a three? Uh, yes, as a three. You didn't confuse uh, her with her sister? No, no. No. Okay. So she would have come back and done some serious damage this year. Just it, well, She's been in Finland and she led the league over there. And, oh, did she really? Yeah, in, in, in rebounding. Okay. Um, but she's been working on her outside game mm. quite a bit with, with Patty. I shoot, they shoot the ball a lot. And I just know her outside game has is improved heaps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why not play her at the three? You know, she's quite yeah. mobile. So, yeah, there's one out of the blue for yeah, you. Yeah, it is. I've, I don't necessarily disagree, but I've gone Australia Williams just because I think she's ready to take that next step. Mm. And with Carly, you know, a fit Carly Bow going back in uh, 2017, I think she only lost the MVP by a few votes to, to Ali, you know, and she was she was playing some serious ball. Yeah, I look, I'm a, as big a Carly and Nasea fan as, mm. as anyone, but, but Carly especially, um, I think she, she's a gun. I'm surprised at the, the, position, the position pick. Um, and maybe this is just coaching philosophy. It's funny because a lot of people like to slide players down, you know, yeah. fives to fours, fours to threes, threes to twos, and play a bit bigger. Um, whereas I kind of tend to go the other way. Like if Carly's really shooting the ball that way, like player at the four. The bigger her opponent, the tougher. Well, yeah, to they, they yeah. won't track her in transition. They'll give her more open threes. You got to switch every on ball uh, if you show or anything like that. She can pop and shoot the ball, and you know it's the same sort of thing we had with with Ash Grant at the four, and then I got greedy last year and tried moving ash ground at the three and i can tell you it's not as it wasn't as effective for us so yeah yeah look i mean i think all of those girls in all league team it's just a question of fit and yeah 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 Yeah, i did i did two and throw about that one between the three and four so in i think it means you must have an especially big front court yeah yeah well i I just know that that they're all pretty mobile anyway you know so who's in the four spot uh kayla steindl Yep. She's a perimeter player, you know, she she's an outstanding shooter as well and she's mobile as well. So yeah, she's I thought that was an easy pick to be honest. Yeah, I've decided to not go for any Wolves players in my top 5 and I'll explain why in a moment, but I've gone Carly Bogue as my pick as power forward for Four. all of the yep. reasons you picked her in the yep. in the 3 spot. Yep. Good choice. Um, Your centre? Centre is Maddie Allen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she's just that uh, defensive person that, uh, you know, protects the rim. She's not a high scorer, you know, which is which is probably something with that team on the floor that she doesn't need Definitely to be. Too, no. She just needs to board and, and uh, protect the rim at the other end. So that's – and I'm, I'm not sure, did she lead the league in rebounding or – I think she probably – very close to I know, she, I know yeah. she did in the blocks, but yep. uh, so that's who I went. I've gone Brittany Montgomery from the Slammers, mainly because she'll – she will have such responsibility. She'll be asked to play almost 40 minutes a game and, and she'll have to put up big numbers for the Slammers. Well, she would have had to put up big numbers for the Slammers to be competitive. So I think I think her coming back for her second season, she would have been even better. Nathan Grover would have asked a lot of her and I think she would have been able to, to keep them competitive. Yeah, I mean, look, I any of them could be could be in. It's um, I think Maddie was first team last year um, and she obviously... Doesn't doesn't score a lot, but she brings a lot to the table. Um, what you need with Grand Final MVP too, and yeah, and she she gives them that that switchability in defense because you can the other team you put fives in the on balls and she can guard the guard dribbling out of it. Um, I think Montgomery would have been hard hard pressed just because. I think there's a little bit of an attack if you're you're in one of those bottom bottom two teams, and I'm not saying that's fair. I just kind of think there's there's possibly a little bit of that. It yeah, gets no. devalued a little bit. No, that's fair compared to someone else. I, I probably would have had Ash Grant if she, around the mix yep. somewhere, yep. Um, because I think she's going to get a lot more added responsibility mm. um, at Lakeside, and 
and in the new system and a lot of opportunities to, to put the ball in the hole and, you know, how that all fit together, you know, Bo, Grant, Nasea, you know, any of them could all, I think they're all really, really good players. I just want to touch on the Junior Light Wolves quickly. The reason I didn't have any of them in the top five was because I think they've got on paper potentially the, the almost the greatest team we've ever seen. Can, the, can you name the, their team in, for in me? The SBL, I will. And that's the reason I haven't because they've got such incredible depth. I think we could have named their team as the all-first team and, and gone pretty well. So starting with their backcourt, they got Georgia Dennehy and Shani Amos or Caldwell who's coming back from, from having her child. Then they got Michaela Perini and she would have been backed up by, well, by Chelsea Belcher. Then that three spot, they got in Australia Williams plus Isabel Miotti. And then they've got Alex Haywood, who's that veteran to, to mm. back those two up. And then the, the front court, Kayla Steindl, Amber Land, Brittany Hodges. And then, as we talked about, Hannah King, who's a more than handy player as well. So to me, that team on paper, and again, it's a matter of chemistry and if you can make it all work together. But on paper, that's, a, that's an incredible team. Right, yeah, look, it's it's strong and it's deep. Oh, be careful not to up. Not to upset you wolves. No, you're, you're right because, it, because I, I, just, I just because think, you have a great team on paper doesn't yeah. mean it works. And like in fit is just, and maybe I vary from other coaches. You know, some coaches are very academic about accumulating talent and scoring players and all yep. that. But I'm just such a, a big one for fit. Um, and you can only have five on the court at any one time. And and you know, like Dennehy's fantastic defensively. Amos is or Caldwell is great mm-hmm. defensively. Perini can obviously control tempo and handle the ball, but Williams, Land, Dindle, that gives you limited shooting, limited amount of ability to like push the ball in transition yep. and put the ball on the floor. And then Miotti can do a lot of things and can break you down one-on-one, and, um, but she doesn't like drive and get on the rim or take the ball in transition and you know hit someone. So look, I think if they came together, and Nixie's a very good coach, they could be very very good but we also got to remember like weren't we all saying the same thing about last year and remember the 2016 season when flames had a beckway and whitcomb Mm -hmm. and garbin and everyone else and we all thought we were just turning up so there's a long journey ahead there would have been absolutely just in that all-star five i had some notable yes people let me know i did as well did you yeah i had mansfield Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know you had the right Mansfield. <laughs> Anita Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She would have, she'll pour some points in. I think last year she played in the QBL for Toowoomba and she averaged nearly mm-hmm. 25 points yep. a game. So, yep. um, and the say Williams, that was the other one. Yep. So, yeah. what about yourself, Chris? Yeah, the the one I found the hardest to leave out, and I've made up for it, which I'll let you know about in a minute, is Nikki Gilday. But also, I think Alex Shibatoni was the other one that I found found tough i think she could have even been better this year having a full season at the flames Mm -hmm. but also if there was a league and assuming there was still a league in europe wouldn't have been here till may okay yeah well Well, i assume i mean i'm not in touch with chiba but i usually europe means late april yep sure it does yep yeah okay mvp randy yeah well you sort of touched on on it there i was just going to continue with stacy Barr. i can't see why anything's going to change and i actually think that uh she'll probably get some the same amount of shots even with Dyer. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking Dyer will probably not need to score as much and mm-hmm. become more of a distributor, um, which will, uh, you know, obviously help Stacey. So, yeah. um, and she racks up votes, you know, from the coaches and the yeah. the umpires regular. I think if you looked over the years, she'd be in the, the top five point yeah. or vote getters over that time. So she's my pick. It wasn't easy. I mean, you know, there's obviously so many good players yeah. in the league, but you've got to pick, settle for one. Yeah, we so, do. Yeah. 
I've got Nikki Gilday. I think she will come back a better player. I think she's played at a really high level the last couple of years since she played in your grand final team at Mandurah. So I think she would have come back to Perry Lakes an even better player. And the re- I know it doesn't make sense because she wasn't in my All-Star 5, but I've gone for Dyer and Barr in my All-Star 5 because I just think they would have been great playing together so I would have wanted to keep them together in my All-Star 5 but then I just think Nikki Gilday would have had such a good season that I couldn't overlook her for the MVP. Look I mean MVP is done by votes yep. and um, you don't you know you're just accumulating votes you're not picked against mm. positions and all uh, women's SBL teams you know it depends what positions mm. coaches sure. coaches put player in players in and that kind of stuff so I think that's probably a fair enough pick I think. Stacy, I I actually wrote Garvin on my notes today, but mm. I didn't realise she wasn't yeah. she mm. wasn't going this year. But yep. yeah. Okay, Randy, who do you who do you have losing the grand final? Um, Mandra. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> no, no, tough for me to say that. But um, turn your phone over. I want to. Uh, oh, we're not live on the air. Uh, <laughs> had them finishing uh, fourth. Yep. And yep. Then knocking Sterling out in the in the semifinals. Then moving on to a grand final. In all seriousness, could their their hearts take that? Hey, I might be doing this. Might be a bit of reverse psychology. Okay, you know, okay. Yeah, no, not that the season's going ahead, but no, I had them finishing in that position, and the champions I had as the Wolves. Okay, but uh, you know that depends a lot on on what uh, Craig just spoke about as yep. well, and how Charles can bring that team together. And you know, there's a I think there's a fair bit of pressure. Yep. There would have been a fair bit of pressure on him. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I've got. I've got the Senators and the Wolves playing in the grand final, and I think it would have been the Warwick Senators winning the grand final just because don't have quite as many players to try to keep happy. So I think I think on the grand final stage, that, that backcourt plus Sam Roscoe would have been able to, to get the job done. Who would have you had grand final MVP? Uh, I had Steindl. She's a big-time player, and, uh, yeah, she would have um, performed well in that game. Yeah, I had Sam Roscoe. I just think she would have, like she did in 2018, stepped up in, in a grand final stage again and, and enjoyed playing against that, that Wolves front court and, and delivered the goods. Yeah, she likes the big stage, Sammy. She She's not a shrinking yeah. violet. No, she's not That shy. was actually one of the questions I had that I wanted to ask you is the reason she decided to leave and not defend the title. Oh, look, um, to be 100% honest, is dollars. So um, Vlad represents Sam. Sam, I coached her at State. You know, she went to the same college as me and um, she's back and played for Lakeside and, you know, like Sam will always be family and, like, great to see her succeed. Not at our expense in the semifinals last year, but when there was discussion at, you know, with Vlad about what offers were on the table, um, I just said to Sam, look, I'm not going to get not going to get within Kui of that. Mm-hmm. So wish you the best. Hope we beat you, which we didn't. And um, and that's that. And, you know, but look, Sam, Sam's a great person. And I I'm not criticising senators. Like Sam's, it was a senator's junior. Yeah, yeah. And throw the incentive out there yeah. to, to bring <laughs> worth paying for too. to bring one yeah. of your juniors, your juniors back. So it was beneficial for everyone. Lakeside isn't one of those clubs where you know we just throw the money around to to get what we want done. Um, yeah, you got to build it, and it was a good opportunity for Sam. I'm not sure you had. Maybe you didn't recruit at least Ironmonger if Sam stayed. So maybe it's, it did work out okay for Lakeside too. Yeah, oh, look, I mean, there was no doubt we were lucky to be able to plug Elise in when Sam left. And Elise, like, shot the ball really well from three last year yeah, yeah. Um, and filled in, you know, a lot of that, that presence that Sam had. And, and Elise gave us a little bit of a different presence defensively. Sam blocks more shots. Elise is more of a positional defender, but it, it, she really helped us on the defensive end. And, and that, mm. that was a blessing. And Elise was great for us last year. Now, we'll turn attention more to Craig after we wrap this up, Randy, but the wooden spooners. 
Who did you have finishing on the bottom? I had the Eagles, but um, I had the Eagles winning winning some games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had the. I, I said, like I spoke about Blake. You know, yep. similar as Tyrone, they're going to bring a lot of energy, and I just think. That's where where they finish, but you know, with improvement. Yeah, I, I agree. I still had them finishing last, but based on the one win season of last year and whatever their record is, it's one and the one of their last sixty or whatever it is. I think they would have been vastly improved. I see them winning probably six or seven games this season. Having an experienced point guard, BJ Morley's would have would have been important for them. Yeah, I think they would have been greatly improved and started to head in the right direction. But I, I think they would have been the only team that wasn't fighting for a playoff spot. So even though I had the Slammers, Lakeside, and Kalamunda missing the finals, I still think they would have been pretty close to to being on the mark. But yeah, so East Perth are still a level below, but with a bullet to to start really improving. Just for the record, and shout out to Blake, but I would not have had Eagles on the uh, on the wooden spoon. Well, yeah, I, I just think that how they played at, at the Blitz yep. mm-hmm. and they were four players short there yep. um, and I think the jump into the 7-8 jump is less of a jump than the jump into the 1-2-3 if yep. that makes sense yep. like, and I think now I'm not advocating they would have won 15 games or anything mm-hmm. um, but I would have been surprised if they got the wooden spoon based on what yeah. I saw at the Blitz and yeah. what I know they still had yeah, fair, had fair to goals. come in but you know like same thing what what they had coming well known out there they they had BJ and an import and a yeah. couple of interstate girls still to come yeah. to the no, I just think from where they've come from, we've even had a six-win season. I think it was a huge win for it would have been yes. a huge win for them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but having said that, we had to put someone in the bottom spot. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. Who, who would have you put finishing last? Um, I would have put Slammers there. With all okay. due respect to Grosey, who I think did a fantastic job mm-hmm. last year, um, I just think the, the turnover of players would have been really tricky for him. Dyer's a loss. Montgomery would have troubled teams on the night for sure. Um, but then I'd heard mixed things about whether Bayless was going again. No, Bayless and Fielding were both out. Yeah, and I just think Montgomery's going to get her 14 points, but their ability to like control the ball and compete at the guard spot and over the court would have been really challenging for them. And, and yeah, and like the same thing. If they had a, won as many games this coming year as they won the year before, I would have, oh, like, Grovesy would have been my pick for coach of the year. Like, I, I think yep. they had they had some challenges. A lot of, lot of points missing Dyer and, yeah. and yeah. Bayless. Yeah. So, and a lot, of, a lot of shots too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the shots aren't missing. The shots are back. <laughs> Someone's going to take them. <laughs> the, the funny thing is when you do something like this, people take it very personally. I don't realise that we have to pick somebody to finish in these positions, but I'm sure the biggest feedback we'll get is from the teams that we finish picked to finish last, and it's nothing personal. We just had to put someone there. Yeah. Well, I reckon I might get a bit of feedback on my comments. <laughs> Have you guys' phones and emails been beeping? A little bit. I used to get it every week when I was on with Chechi. Yeah. Get someone, you'd upset. Yeah. So I used to take great um, amusement doing it at the men. I'd know nothing about the men's league and I'd <laughs> I'd put my thoughts out there and uh, and then I'd get a text message <laughs> the next week from an upset coach. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing how sensitive people can get. Yeah. All right, let's wrap that up. Randy and Craig, and when we come back, we'll put the just just before you yeah, go for you it. forgot to do nine and ten. All right, go so for it. nine I had the Suns. Yep, just just missing out. Uh, Cougars are tenth, Slammers eleventh, and okay. Eagles twelfth. I had Slammers ninth, Lakeside tenth, Calamander eleventh, and East Perth rounding it up in twelfth. Rough on my clubs, rough on the Lightning, <laughs> rough on the Suns. That's why we waited until you. That's why we got you in this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. All right, let's wrap up that up, and when we come back, we. Talk Time to look at the career journey of Craig Mansfield.
Okay, back here on SBL Street Around, and we actually thought we might have a shorter show this week without having a, a guest on the line, Randy, and having Craig in the studio, but we've, we've ended up having a lot more to talk about than we thought. But the career as a coach in, in basketball in WA and beyond of Craig Mansfield is something that deserves to, to be acknowledged as one of the great coaching careers, I think, in, in anyone that has been involved in basketball in, in this state. So a lot of it's been, been coaching women and it started right back at the Swan City Mustangs. You were the first ever coach of the Lakeside Lightning. You first ever coach of the Calamander Eats and Suns and you're still the only man to take the Suns to, to a grand final. You took over a Lakeside Lightning team that had won one game when you took over. You took them to being the dominant team in the competition and, and really not too far away from winning back-to-back championships. You spent two years in the United States at, at college, been involved in the WNBL program. When I run all that off to you, are you... Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, <laughs> but proud. Are you proud of, uh, of what you've done in basketball? Yeah, I mean, look, I appreciate the kind words um, and it's nice to kind of, you know, have the amount of time you've been involved acknowledged and you know and it's one of my great frustrations i get on bwa every year with the sbl awards you know because we give players their milestones as we should and we give referees their years of service as we should but i think getting in and staying in as a coach and staying contemporary and evolving what you do and navigating club politics and you know getting through to your players and handling different groups i think it's challenging um, and I think we should do a better job of an acknowledging the coaches that contribute over a long period of time. Um, and I keep pushing for that for that every year. Well, you must have coached. Well, there was 140 games at 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 Kalamunda, 104 games at, at Lakeside, and then you add in the first stint at Lakeside and the stint at the, at the Mustangs. You must be well over 300 games as a as a coach. Yeah, I did some maths one year. Adam Bowler sent a matrix out to. Just for the coaches to put their games. I don't know. If yeah, you did yeah, that. I did yeah. get that. Yeah, and that was the off season between 2017 and 2018. Mm-hmm. And I roughly did the math in my head. I had to do some deductions for games missed with state. When I did it, I realised my 300th game landed on Randy eliminating me in game three of the semi-final. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't too happy with that one, but I think I'm I'm somewhere up about three three twenty three thirty yep. games something like that. It's been been a really you know fun experience. Mm. How young were you started when you first got your crack at? Was it Lakeside or the Mustangs you got your first crack at? I got my first crack at Lakeside, yep. so I was too young. It was funny, BWA put the old date photos up on their, their website or on social media this week and I looked at one of them and I couldn't believe how young I looked and then I realised I was coaching women's SPL like five months after that and <laughs> wow. I, I owe um, a debt of gratitude to Andy for that. Um, I was very young and um, he gave me a start um, and unfortunately from a winning and losing on the court we did pretty well over those first couple of years and, and then that gave me a platform to kind of continue to pursue my goals and, and I was young, too young. Um, and a little bit immature and you know I've learnt a lot from experience over the years and I was also in a phase where I did want to coach full-time and professionally and um, and I was very ambitious and it's amazing now when I look back and I think back to life's journey and SPL journey and how I view coaching now and there's a lot of good stuff with starting young um, absolutely I don't regret it there's also some things I look back and cringe at and would do a little bit differently hindsight and all of that but yeah no it was it was good to start and I did get in young I think I coached I think Keegan was actually this year is a few months probably younger than me i asked him what month of the year his birthday was i was trying to do mm. the maths in my head so i think keegan might have might have got me this year and been a few months younger than me so when you he only started. What, were you 25 when you got lakeside to a grand final 24 uh, i was 24 yeah yeah 24 that year so i was younger than 
quite a few of the players on yeah. the, on the roster. Yeah, so it's a fair effort to first season in as well. Yeah, yeah, it was, and I was I was lucky. Like I got a mum ran a uh, just a local club at Willerton, and I hated coaching, but she signed up all these players that needed coaches, and I agreed to do it. And then one thing led to another. So it was also a different era. I had a couple of really good mentors like Warren Coon, um, who's very polarizing these days, and um, everyone has uh, different experiences with Warren. But he really taught me to like think about the game and learn about the concepts and not just like learn an offense and a defense or copy what you know the next person's done and I think he taught me to think about basketball and that enabled me to think about the game and talk to mentors and, and not worry and, and helped me get going young. Hmm. Was there a point where you had to decide to not seriously I guess continue trying to be a player at SBL level and focus on the coaching? Did you have to make that call? Uh, look, I was never I was never really serious about playing. I was like 5'11 when I finished high school, so I was immature, but in, in all ways, I mm. a picture of me with my car the first day I got it, and I swear I look like I'm 13. And <laughs> um, It wasn't until I was about sort of 22 or 3 that I was probably capable, and at best, I would have been a, a, a bench player kind of thing, and I just dabbled a little bit. But by that point, you know, by that point, I was fully immersed in wanting to coach professionally and, and you know, like, I was putting a lot of work in to get college. I ended up getting to a school where one of my imports was at, but there was a lot of work. You know, it wasn't like now where there was social media. I was, mm. I had to like manually buy phone cards and make phone calls at, you know, three in the morning and FedEx old VHS tapes off and on. And, you know, like it was a lot, lot different back then. And I was very focused on that. And I still probably shot the ball almost as much as anyone that mm. played SBL just because I love to do it. But it was always just to skip going to class at uni. I think it was always just <laughs> recreational. Those two years at the University of North Dakota in 2000, 2003 and four. What was that experience like? Um, fantastic for me. When I started coaching, I had this idea of like the style we would play, and 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 some of the things I do now is like based in that in terms of being up tempo. And I was more into pressure D then than I am now. And running a lot of four out when everyone was running three out, two in, screen the screener. Mm -hmm you know one four highs and that and but I thought I knew a lot mm. and I really overestimated how much I knew and like and I'm really looking back now I'm really appreciative of guys like like Rick Morecambe who I was a bit of young and upstart and probably had not I was ever disrespectful but you know overestimated myself and they still took the time to you know talk to me and you know give casual advice but going to college was great because I got there and I remember getting about second week in the, the head coach pulled me to the office and he's like look it's clear you're smart and you can talk and all of that but like you just need to calm down a little bit and like get the lay of the land and and then I did a whole bunch of scouting and um, it enabled me to realize no there's no magic recipe to basketball like I saw all different types of tempos and offenses and defenses and alignments and pressure and containment and channel this way and that and teams could be really good or really bad doing the same thing hmm. you know so yep. it just comes down to what you believe in what works with your players and yourself and what you teach and that kind of like made me increase my awareness and open up what I wanted to do and then when I came back I was more open-minded but also I was I had a big insight to scouting that a lot of people here hadn't been exposed to probably other than the NBL level. So back then you, you only got the VHS game film of your home game and I'd go on the, onto the away team and I'd ask for the game film and the other coaches wouldn't even look at it. They'd be like, oh, uh, yeah, go up there and see that guy and I was cutting film and, and doing a lot of that stuff quite, quite young and that certainly gave me a little bit of, a, little bit of help and a bit of a head start as well. Mm. What about then 
being part of the the start of things at the Calamari Eastern Suns. Even in your first year, I think you got to the semi-final, so you, you did really well straight off the bat there in the women's program anyway. But I mean, and right through, obviously your mum is still working there now, and you've gone back there now, still coach under six to sixteens level. But to be part of the start of creating a club at, at the Calamari Eastern Suns, how how big of a part is that always going to be of your life? Yeah, look. That was, it was a really good experience. And like I came back in the first three years I was at Suns, they didn't have SBL. And I wasn't that intrigued with returning to coach SBL that quickly. You know, like our college games, we got four or 5,000 people and it was a lot of, lot of juice and it took me a little while to kind of, I was happy just to coach Wobble and, and that. And it was great because they put a bit of a working group together to get into SBL and I was actually on that working group. So I, I remember going to the old Perry Lakes and having meetings with John Gardner and the representatives, Libby Woods and that, and, you know, talking about how Suns needed to structure and, and what they needed to do to, to get into the league. And, you know, when I came back, mum was there and Mustangs had effectively become Eastern Suns at that point. So it was just a logical step for me and it enabled me to be around family a bit at the same time as being around basketball and and when I was at college I was really homesick um and that was one of the things that kind of put the brakes on college I could have gone back for for another contract but I I missed my family probably more than I would admit and by the end of by Christmas and then moving towards the end of it I was pretty keen to get home and be around them so you know sons sons was a great journey for me you got to the grand final in 2013 and then you stepped away at the end of 2014. Was it similar to how you felt at the end of last year at Lakeside? Did you just feel like the timing was right to take a break? Uh, probably completely different. Okay. Um, not in like Suns was fantastic for me and in one way it was really difficult to, to step away without oversharing and cut it out if you're oversharing. But the last couple of years at Suns, I probably, like in terms of mental health and that, wasn't wasn't that well and was overcommitted and, and had a lot of things going on. And there were some things I needed to work on myself, you know, take some time away. And, and in the last couple of years there, not in terms of basketball on the court but I you know hadn't made always made some great decisions and I just needed to get myself in a sort of step away take a breath get myself in a better spot and um and sort of have some awareness of what I was at and for that in that way 2015 was was really good for me I finished 2014 and and did two or three months traveling on my own in Europe and just had a bit of a break and came back and sort of I ran a lot and you know like got myself in a lot better position and then I would have probably, after a bit of a break, gone back to Suns, but I wanted them to, like, not be looking back. Um, And also for me, like, feeling like I've put some time into getting myself in a good position. I wanted to go somewhere with a bit of a sort of clean slate and kind of put my best foot forward in a new new environment. Um, You know, that, that was really good. And it was not a not you know lakeside was a great environment for me and and lakeside felt a little bit like you know because i originally started there it was Mm. was a logical step um and as a coach i'm much more interested in like developing players and people than winning winning championships um you know like i've got you know been involved in a few grand finals and they're somewhere in the house they're not something i look at or reflect on but you know i love seeing some of my players what they've progressed on to so you know i actually talked with a couple of clubs um, about, I was just about to ask you that. Yeah, yeah, about what my vision would be and what theirs would be. And, yep. and and one of them at the time was actually Senators and they were on the cusp of the kind of Tegan Walker, Berryman and that. And I sort of put my idea forward and I think me wanting to effectively like reboot and bring the next generation through, I think at that point that was too big a step 
for them and they ended up doing that a couple of years later they were still very good for a couple of years with Clarkie and could have won grand finals but then they ended up doing that and whereas Lakeside they they'd had gone one, through one the year game, before yeah. where they yep. had one win one win so yeah. they knew okay like Nash is a great coach but they weren't a tied to anything from the year before so it just gave me that chance to fresh slate fresh slate and, and the other thing I like to do like I, I think I missed the I missed the finals one year at Suns my first year back after um, coaching the men because when I come in first year I like to not overdo the recruiting and that and and almost like you're playing poker and just watch a few hands i like to go in that first year and just kind of see what the girls you have can do and if someone wants to come join your program great if you need an import to cover a position great but like just see what what you've got in front of you and lakeside coming off that one win it meant i think we went 11 you know we came six and won 11 games next year and ali was big help as well as a lot of girls but there was no pressure to like go get some players and do something straight away so it allowed me to to get on a pathway you know 16 17 18 19 that kind of thing yeah just just with ali uh, you had her at calamunda obviously yep. recruited um yep. you had a break she went away then you um had her back on board in in uh with the lightning what were the notable notable differences you know what's had she changed in a game or that you found yeah look when the year ali the the sun's year she came yeah. out like that was blind luck um we didn't pay her enough we'd had a bunch of injuries and we, we we had an import spot spare and we needed someone and i was looking on the the dbbl because emma cannon came from there and yep. sammy wickham came and i'm like well if wickham's and cannon are doing 16 and 7 and this girl's doing 14 and whatever then i know she's going to be good and you know like it was just a good measure yep. and i reached out to ali and, and at that point she came on as like a i was thinking she's like a three four um, and we used to like split her time at the four and the three. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and but Ali, one of the things with the connection with us is because everything was last minute, she had to come and live with me. There was no, no, we couldn't get accommodation. Enabled me to do a lot of film with her and build a bit of a bond with her. And that's why, you know, she's a lot like family to me. And she took a little pause in her, her, her basketball career. Her sister passed away a bit unexpectedly, which is why she changed the number. She wears her, she wears yeah. her sister's number. Um, and so when I got to Lakeside, like, obviously, Obviously, there's a Christian vision as well, and there's the church connected. And at that point, me not not being in a different position faith-wise to now, it was like, I know Ali's a strong Christian, and I've seen her live it in my house. I knew what she bought on the court, and I also knew that after the time off that she needed grieving that I was probably it was probably a beneficial situation for both of us. It yep. gave her a chance to come in, someone she knows, get comfortable, and, and from there she's just you know leaped with her basketball career but mm. it's it's no different to what they said last week against about Wickham. yes she came and it was the vehicle they gone in and used to get where they've gone but they would have they would do it would have found their way their, their yeah. work ethic and their talent this is indirectly related to to ellie as well and i don't know if randy even even knows about it but in that game three of the 2017 semi-final series when you lost it down in in mandra to me a dark cloud hung over that because of the way ellie was treated by some of the members of the Mandurah crowd. We don't need to go into who it was or anything, but I know that it, it shook you afterwards as well, and you did speak to the people involved. Um, losing a, a Game 3 of a semi-final was always going to be tough, but did that do anything in terms of motivating you that extra little bit for the next year, or how did you get over that whole situation? Look, I don't think the... Um, I don't think anything that happened in Game 3 shaped how we prepared the next year. You know, there was some interaction with fans in that Game 3, and they're entitled to be passionate 
and well, no, you know, it, it, like it I, it, I, I don't have, um, you know, like it's. I'm not here to necessarily talk about that, but I did, yeah, I did yeah. send into the league and say, hey, let's let's get a process here that just makes sure that everyone's safe in their working environment. That's all that was about. But what it did is it, we came out of that game, and given how big Hawks were that year in physical, and how you how physical you guys kind of beat us up in that game three, we knew exactly. I needed to look at the style we play you know a bit more shooting a bit more free-flowing and 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 our defensive style and say okay that's great but when we're in a physical game three environment we need to be able to cope so from a basketball point of view it really did like every just about every change i made from 2017 to 2018 was designed to beat mandra you know we knew hawks was changing um and you know so so it was a big driver and and it really stung and i feel like that series you know you guys won game three and i think casey played with a broken hand Mm. um ali Ali had eight points in the first four or five minutes of game one, and um, we were we were sort of eight clear, and she got her third foul, and I thought all three of them were, were really stiff. You know, like there was – it's just the story of a series. Um, I think the, the reason we talk about it is, you know, we were there, yeah. and, you know, you watch a lot of basketball, and yeah. you see a lot of different series, but it, yeah. it was it was very special. And I was just, it was, even, even for me, it was one of the yeah. – it's probably the most memorable – Women's SBL series that I've, I've ever watched. Yeah, and just the stadiums, both, you know, were full and yeah. the crowd was into it. And yeah, so I think that's why we're, we're talking yeah. about it probably so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah look. And it, it did shape the next year and, and change some things we did. And, you know, when I look at the next year, like everyone bangs on about the, the five out and the three point shooting and the scoring. But that next year, I was most proud of how our defense changed, yeah. you know, and even um, in the grand final, like, when Mandra were all over us, we were able to defend well enough to keep the game close enough to to, to have a shot. Um, and I think you know, like for the point amount of points we conceded for our pace, um, and when you you know, there's the advanced stats you can look at online now. And when they adjust it for pace, we were the second best. I think they were. I think Mandra were first, and we were the second best defensive team in the league. And and so yeah, it it, it had an impact. But you know, that's the whole point. Like yeah. Randy makes me better. Hopefully, I make Randy better, or Ryan, or Parker. We all push each other to to have a better, better, better league. Well, running out of time here. Sorry, Craig. So we'll race through right. a couple of quick, I will, quick, quick questions. Over talk. Hopefully. No, no, no. Just a couple of quick ones. I wanted to get your thoughts on. Is winning a championship after your long journey and everything you've been through? Is winning a championship as a coach everything you dreamed it would be? No, it's not defining. Okay. And and I would worry about someone that sees it as defining because you wake up the next day, maybe with a bit of a little bit of a hangover, but you wake up the next day and um, you're the same person. Like so no, it's not defining. Um it was a relief. Like it would have been um tough to like process three, lo- like losing three. And so it was a relief. And as a coach, if you're about like developing your players like i feel the most my least favorite part of the year i'd be curious to get your thoughts on this randy but my least favorite part of the year is the finals mm. like i enjoy preseason the most and probably finals the least because when it gets finals times i feel this massive obligation to my players and the club to like try and get as many things right as i can so everyone gets rewards for all the hard work they've done and that really wears on me and so when we won it was a was a relief whereas during the season you just you plotting this path and you're trying to make everyone better and grow and 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 that's a different dynamic and everyone's wired differently like my wife is a very naturally competitive person and so the juice of the finals is she loves it and we're we're wired a bit differently like that and but no it's it the margins are so small as as i said before like win or lose you wake up the next day you're still the same level of coach you were the day before and you work on getting better 
One last one from me. Away from basketball, how much have you changed and what sort of an impact on your life has Courtney had? Yeah, no, I mean, Courtney's had a, a really um, amazing impact on my life and, and positive. Um, you know, she's kind of wise beyond her years and she's one of these people that some people I just think like that that code for right and wrong and how you should handle things and and your integrity comes to them really natural and then other people learn through experiences and mistakes and Courtney's one of these people that that is a really good decision maker and and has a really like positive approach to life and it's funny because I'm obviously older I mean my 27th birthday is soon but (laughs) I'm obviously a little bit a bit older but um, she's been a huge positive impact on my life um, and, you know, like, and a fantastic basketball player sure. for me as well. Absolutely. But look, I've never, from a personal point, you take basketball out of it, it's, it's probably been the best four, five, six years of my life. And obviously getting married to Courtney is, is kind of at the pinnacle of that. And um, yeah, things are great. Yeah, well, when you when you're talking about Courtney, she was the girl that was added to the to the team, uh, <laughs> and I, I personally think that was a difference that you know yes. in in the 17 team and 18 team her inclusion. Yeah, I think so. it I think it made a it made a big difference. I think the the extra year with um, Sam because she was always coming in late playing yeah. with the girls and and if you just put Courtney, I think really probably tipped us over the edge in that way. Um, and that was a hard thing, you know, like. 2017 we, we're just starting to go out and she's played SBL her whole career didn't do state didn't do college and she she's talking to me and I'm saying to her no go over east and play like get a new experience that cost us in 2017 but that's one of those moments where as a coach you're thinking what's best for this person's experiences and development and, and yeah but what it did is it allowed everyone else to grow and then when we came back and added her in 2018 you know she'd been the captain she came back and co-captain with Ali and, and the, the drive and the intensity she had and, and um, she's quite sort of structured with how she approached this thing and it really sort of, I think, pushed us pushed us over the top. No, it's been great talking to you, Craig, and, you know, have a look, look at your resume. Um, I don't think we even covered half the stuff we wanted to, so no. if Craig's okay with it, hopefully you can come back and join us once more. Yeah, I reckon we should uh, maybe mid- mid-West Coast Classic yep. get some thoughts from, from Craig. Well, that's if he's willing to come back. How does this compare to the SBL Slam? Oh no, the hosts, the uh, my co-hosts are much better. Actually, I'm not a host. What am I? I'm a guest. <laughs> so no, a, a different format. And the one thing that's great about this is because you're not sort of locked into radio format, you can free wheel and have a good discussion. And I'm sure you can. Where I've overtalked Pikey, you can you can cut me out a bit. But no, I really enjoyed myself. And when you only get three likes on social media and five views, because I'm the because <laughs> I'm the guest, you don't have to have me back. But but uh, happy to talk hoops anytime. No, I think so. you've got a, you've got a fascinating story to share. You've been great to me the whole time i've known you i've enjoyed getting to know you and i've enjoyed the fact that you've been so generous with me for your time over the years so it's been great to actually sit down and actually have a chance to go through your journey like this and we do hope to have you back soon so hopefully you'll come back but let's wrap up this segment randy and move on to wrapping up the show because it's been a been a big one Okay, back here on SBL Street Around, let's wrap things up on the show. And once again, thanks ever so much to Craig Mansfield for joining us in our in our post studios here in Canningvale. It's been been a pleasure to have him with us for this whole episode, and I'm sure everyone has enjoyed his insight into into basketball. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed our predictions of how the SBL season would have played out. I'm sure some of you might disagree, and feel free to let us know, and we can come back and discuss it next week. Thanks for making. All of this happened to Bassett Scarf Realty in Mandurah, so make sure you get in touch with them at bassettscarf.com.au to, to 
if you live in Mandurah to find a new place to live or if you want to make a sea change to have a look at finding somewhere new to live down there and, and calling calling Randy your neighbour. Um, so for, for SB, I'll shoot around for another week. I'll call, I'll call it a day. I'm Chris Pike, Randy Meagle. What can you leave us with? Oh, I'd just like to get um, some feedback. You know, we uh, haven't had a great deal as far as the social media side. We want to know who you want to, you know, who you want us to interview and ask us some questions to give us some ideas uh, moving forward. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the show and uh, we look forward to doing uh, number six. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Grant. I'll just give you a big, big thumbs up. It's good to um, people supporting Women's SBL and getting some content out there at, at the moment. So, it's um, yeah, it's good to see. Thank you.